Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Well, here we are. Here we are back with our number two. And Peter Wood, welcome, as always, to uh, Let the Sawdust Fly, the last uh, Wednesday of the month. And you know what? Today we're going to do it a little bit different because you got a whole uh, studio full of people there. Yep. And you know what you want to talk about with uh, Scott Dane and Mike Forsman and Henry uh, Scheinbeck. So what I'm going to do is let you just take it away, lead the discussion. I will only add in if I think there's a critical question that I want to ask somebody about the future login. Or when we get to our break point, I'm going to have to let you know we got to take a break and I'll uh, do the breaks. But wow. is that okay with you? <laughs> well, Brad, I wasn't expecting that. I thank you greatly. And uh, uh, that's uh, very appreciative. Uh, folks, thanks for tuning in once again. Uh, let the sawdust fly section about we talk about the timber industry. And today, this this took a little time to get in together, but this is the first time I think we've ever had three executive directors in the same booth at the same time from different parts of the, represent different parts. We've got Mike Forsman out of Ely, represents Associated Contract Loggers and Truckers of Minnesota. We have Henry Schenebeck out of Wisconsin, representing Wisconsin and Michigan for Great Lake Timber Producers Association. And we have Scott Dane, who is uh, American Loggers Council Executive Director, who covers all 50 states. The, in the timber industry, that is, folks. But uh, that's what we have today. And the th- kind of the theme, Scott was asking, what kind of theme are you going to put on this? And I thought about it, and I told him, well, basically, when uh, love doesn't, love doesn't uh, pay the bills, basically, which is sad, because what's going on in the timber industry, we got, we got, we're going to talk about uh, the problems that are facing right now with outrageous fuel prices, and what uh, we have, hopefully, some solutions for short-term and long-term. And up to bat first is going to be Mike Forsman out of Ely and talk about a little bit about the Minnesota loggers. Then we go to Henry about the Wisconsin-Michigan loggers. And then, Scott, and you're going to see a common thread here, folks, of what's going on in the timber industry, what, uh, what is a big bother, what is a big problem, because uh, it affects everybody. It doesn't just affect the timber industry, but it affects us greatly right now. And, uh, Mike, uh, you want to grab a mic there and uh, tell people a little bit about yourself and... Uh, yeah, Peter, thanks for having us here. Um, Mike Forsman, uh, Associated Contract Loggers and Truckers, and uh, I've been a tickover as executive director uh, coming up on a year now. Um, uh, I think you're going to realize that it's going to be across the board that the, the fight right now that we have is is we're fighting with record fuel costs, record inflation, and all that isn't really translating over into the logger and the trucker as far as what they're getting, getting paid for their product. Uh, the mills... They're stepping up, but they're 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 not at where they need to be. We're we're still losing. The average logger is still losing, even if he hasn't nego- he's negotiated some. He's still losing around two hundred dollars a load uh, on his on his wood right now. That's at prices of let's say a year or two ago. If you were at a year ago, just to get back the fuel alone, you're looking at over twenty dollars a cord right now, and over twenty seven dollars if you put in. The inflation, that's on a 100-mile haul up north for for what my guys are normally seeing. That's for breaking even, is what you're that's saying? That's to break break even on fuel and inflation. <laughs> and um, how about over in your part of the country there, Henry? Uh, it's a long ways away to Wisconsin from here. We can yeah, see it across uh, the water. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing the same thing, Michigan and Wisconsin. And what, what we're really lacking, besides uh, what Mike mentioned here, is consistency. You know, if you're, if you're a... If you're a 
person that goes to work every day and you have bills to pay and everything, you want to have consistency in what you're doing. And a lot of times our contracts are not consistent. They're not long-term and that type of thing. And I think that's really important for our members. You know, the 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 equipment costs keep going up, tires keep going up. You know, I kind of remember back when, when I was trucking yet, uh, steer tire for a, a truck would be about 500 bucks, and now they're 1200 And that's not that long ago. I've been at this for about 15 years in the position I have now for the association, and I'm looking at all those costs, you know, and, and kind of doing the math, and I'm thinking, man, oh, man, I'm not sure how we're keeping up to some of these things here. It's like uh, production doesn't go up. It changes a little bit. Efficiencies get better, but all of our efficiencies seem to be getting absorbed somewhere along the line, and it's not getting back to the producer. Yeah. How about, uh, Scott, how about the national level where um, you're dealing with loggers all over the country? Uh, it seems like it's the exact same situation, the exact same threat. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? It is. The number one threat uh, and challenge in the timber industry today across the country is uh, the fuel and inflationary impacts. Uh, we're seeing uh, loggers uh, going out of business. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Bobby Goodson, who was from the acclaimed uh, Swamp Logger Show uh, last month in May, he announced that he was uh, shutting down his operation after 40 years. Um, it just that uh, the numbers don't add up. And, uh, you know, that's that's a threat and a challenge that's impacting everybody. Bobby Goodson is very well known all over the nation from the Discovery Channel and uh, how his operation was set up and markets changed and uh, the fuel fuel was a big escalator in it and um, the the we got uh, Mike we got uh, information about uh, like um, inflation and could you explain that just a little bit because a lot of people don't really I don't think a lot of loggers maybe not but in general. They don't get when you say normally we're used to 2.2% inflation, and right now it's at four times that. Yeah, yeah, and and the big thing is, I mean, my my numbers that I'm running at are at eight and a half percent, which is which is roughly even a little below what the uh, what they're reporting. But when you go across the board and look at the real numbers of costs of oil and tires and everything else is added into that. Uh, it's nowhere near that eight and a half. I mean, uh, the numbers that we're seeing are excess of 25% increase on the logger's uh, expenses that he has to do on his day-to-day operations. So, 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 so Brad, if, if, um, if we're at 20%, 18%, if a person's making $30 an hour, in order to keep up at zero, you'd have to be increasing by 18%. There's $6. Well, Jan, Peter, what I hear all of you saying is that the uh, the industry, the people that you're selling your products to are not keeping up with the inflation. They're not keeping the amount of money that they're uh, giving you guys for your products at, at the level that inflation is growing. So it is a question of how long can people continue on that way. Right. That's what I was saying. We, loggers have a common thread, and that is... We love what we do for a living, folks. We really enjoy it. We look forward to it. But love doesn't pay the bills, and it gets extremely frustrating when you want to do this, and every time you put the numbers together, it seems like it's crunching and crunching. And granted, we're trying to give you an idea of what's going on in the timber industry. So loggers out there, loggers, when you're listening, that 
don't think that you're alone. You're you're not alone. It's it's we're bringing it to the table of what is really going on. So you feel like where can we do? What can we talk about? We're gonna give some. We're gonna give some uh, suggestions of how to correct this. But um, um, Henry, what what do you think the feel is over in Wisconsin, Michigan, with the loggers? Um, I think they're you know feeling a little bit uh, rejected, shall I say? Um, you know we've 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 lost markets. We know that we lost Duluth. We lost Wisconsin Rapids. We've lost definitely lost some markets, and and the competition has become lust for pulpwood. I uh, want to make sure I'm clarifying that on the pulpwood end of it because we have a lot of sawmills and stuff that are that are going, and I think they're kind of keeping up a little bit better. Um, you know, with the inflation a little bit, but you know, if you look at the at the high cost of lumber, but a lot of that doesn't really trickle down to to the logger producer end of it. Um, you know, so that that's one thing that we really have to be mindful of. And uh, uh, stumpage values, I think, have been okay, but not necessarily where we'd like to see them yet, you know. So it, it, it's, it, there's a lot of factors at play here, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. How about, Scott, how about if we went down the Malise? Mason Dixon line, you know, in the southeast where timber is very, very big in the United States. Um, those loggers are probably starting to feel the same way as we do. Uh, I'd probably say, um, in a lot of ways, worse than the Midwest, uh, down the southeast. How is that? Uh, uh, well, a cu- couple of things. Uh, you know, they, they had tighter margins down there and, uh, um, they just can't absorb the uh, additional uh, expenses associated with inflation and fuel. But because they have such a large bread basket, um, they can be played against one another um, by some mills. And so, you know, Brad asked about, you know, how to, how come the mills don't pass on uh, or cover the additional expense? And that's, that's really a great question. There's not a logger for the most part in the United States that has a binding contract beyond the last load that went in that day. Um, and so when loggers, um, have increases in expenses. There aren't escalators, escalators built into their contracts. And so, you know, a supplier, let's say, that brings in um, adhesives to a uh, mill um, will say, this is my fuel surcharge. And the mill says, okay, good. Um, that's fine. We'll cover that. Uh, a logger comes up and says, hey, I need more money for the fuel expenses. And they say, um, no, I don't think we want to, you know, really pay you that what you think you need. Mm-hmm. So, um the biggest thing that loggers can do, and I'm sure you want to get to this in a moment, but is that uh, you need to know your number. It's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what your number is for production and transportation and then factor in the fuel and then present that to the mill. You can't just go in, kick the ground, and say, oh, shucks, I think I need some more money. Um, you better know what your number is and be professional about it. And then we are seeing some of those mills responding more favorably. Uh, Kind of like a well, businessman, oh, Brad, just real quick, kind of like a businessman from New York would always say, you got to be willing to walk away from the deal. You got to know when to say no. All right. Guys, I have to take a break. Uh, we're we're uh, at that point where we have a hard break. When we come back, though, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what is the future if the inflation keeps going the way it is. Uh, you're going to see more and more loggers not be able to uh, continue on to lose money every time. Is there any way that, uh, uh, as an association, uh, 
uh, people like uh, like Scott, like your organization or any of yours can put pressure on the mills and the and the the end receivers of your product to uh, to kind of go up with inflation as well. And we'll be right back with more of Let the Sawdust Fly. Giant redwood, larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. All right, all right, all right. Peter, a great song, but I got to tell you, it's getting harder and harder for lumberjacks to work and do the job and do the work they like. I remember uh, years ago, I had the privilege of speaking before your association banquet up on the range. And I I remembered then hearing a number of people, including yourself, talk about how you had to be a good businessman, a good business person. You, for example, I remember had gone out and bought a, a big fuel oil tank that you put in the ground so you could store fuel oil for your equipment because you knew the cost was going to be going up. And if there was ever a deal on fuel oil, you wanted to be able to buy it on that deal, put it in storage to use that when the rates went up higher. Yep. But how do you keep up with rates like they are today? That's that's the problem here, folks, is what we have is, is uh, the fuel is the lifeblood of all economies. Remember, mining, farming, and logging is where everything comes from, and we need to keep the legs on the ground healthy. And there's a lot of people that still want to work. We want to work in the woods. A lot of times people, somebody will ask me, oh, would it, could a person still get into the timber industry, be a logger in that? And I used to say I hemmed and hawed, and I would kind of dance around the question, never answer it truthfully. You know how you can do that, and after a while, I realized I was looking at it from my legs and my standpoint. When you're getting looking at tired, yes, you still can, folks. You can get into any business you want. When I started my first big purchase, I was paying eighteen percent interest on a machine. That was outrageous. It was extremely high. But hopefully, now we got a few more answers here for what can be done. Don't don't get us wrong. It's it isn't like it's going to go out the light. We can, we're survivors, we work, but the one thing is we cannot outrun is when everything escalates and no matter how much you love to do this, you, you, the numbers won't fit, fit in. But anyway, uh, Scott's got a few ideas here and then we'll move on. And, but, uh, we got some ideas from these guys. Brad, you were asking about the future of the timber industry. The American Loggers Council Conference uh, this year, 2022, will be in Branson, Missouri. And the theme of the meeting is, uh, tomorrow's timber industry. The point of the matter is the model that we are currently operating under doesn't work anymore. We need to think outside the box. We need to build a new box. Uh, we need to look at different ways of doing things. And we're going to be presenting some of those ideas um, to change the operating model of the timber industry at that conference um, that will ensure that, as an example, that uh, you know escalators are built into contracts to uh, to support loggers there, um, to look at uh, co-op opportunities, you know, like farmers have, to restructure. How about you, Henry? What do you yeah, think? In, in addition to that, you know that sounds like a great idea—the co-op thing. I, I've wondered why you didn't have that already in the past, but that that does sound like it might have some uh, some opportunities for loggers. 
Yeah, I, I would say in addition to that, um, we're going to do our part, and we're going to start teaching teaching our guys a lot more about uh, there's a big difference between an accountant and a financial advisor. Yeah. For me personally, I know I took uh, I, I I had a good accountant and everything, but he didn't really provide me with the with the financial expertise that I needed um, moving forward. You know, I worked my butt off, made a lot of money, but what do you do with the money after you make it? And that kind of gets back to Mike and Scott's point: you absolutely have to know what your costs are, and your accountant can help you with that, but they don't take you beyond that in fact i don't even think they can take you beyond that because it's not their line of expertise so that's uh another step i think that we can take as an industry to really teach our folks that type of information yeah i, I agree that that's so critical that guys know whether know right away whether they can make money or whether they're losing money not waiting to the end of the year and and we have to change the way we do business in the fact that if we look at this industry we cannot compete on a on a wage scale that can compete with construction or mining up here at all even on the best days they still there's no comparison on that and and there's a problem with that when it's such a capital in 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 you have to have so much capital involved to run this business so we have to figure a way to organize and people need to stop being so independent and try to get together and be honest on what they need to survive and make a living doing this. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a point there. Look, we have to take our CBS News break, uh, and then we're going to come back with a friend of ours, uh, Justin from AirServe, is, is holding as well. But, guys, maybe when we're away, uh, you can think of uh, other ways that you might think of how you can work together cooperatively to uh, to put a little more pressure on on some of the uh, users of your product to be able to build in inflation clauses which can help you through times like we're in right now because I can't even begin to think of what it's like today if you break a major piece of equipment out in the woods and you have to replace it with the cost going up so we'll talk more about that when we come back right after the CBS news break <laughs> Woodworkers ball music coming back into the uh, into the session here, and we have on the phone with us this morning. Uh, before we get back to our loggers, we have uh, Justin from AirServe. Justin, you're out there working all week this week. I'm sure people are concerned about air conditioning, but they're also uh, in the Northland always concerned about how do I heat my home when the when the cool comes rolling in, and it comes rolling in any time of the year. So, uh, what are you finding this week? Well, I'll tell you what, number one, I always feel bad on the last Wednesday of the month when I take away a little airtime from my logging friends, because I'm a big fan of the logging industry, of course. But with that aside, I'm sure they're equally uh, as big a fans as me in the HVAC industry, because everybody needs heating and cooling for their homes as well. Absolutely. I'll tell you what I do find a lot, and this is a very common question. You know, people hear me talk all the time about turning on a cooling system and then leaving it on. And part of the reason why I say to do that is is if the system needs to come on to do something, it will. If it doesn't need to come on, it won't. We don't necessarily want to treat it like a light switch. Well, then people uh, have another question, which is basically, can I open my windows? Can I let some fresh air in my house? And of course, my answer to that is always going to be yes. We always want to try to cycle out some of that stale air for some of that fresh air. 
We just have to right. be careful when we're opening the windows and doors and letting fresh air into the house that we're not uh, allowing a lot of humidity to come back into the house because, of course, with the cooling system, we have a little bit of a startup phase, some front-end operation, anywhere from two to six hours to eliminate a lot of the humidity that's in the house. Got to get that humidity percentage down to about 35 to 37% before we can achieve a lower temperature in the space that we're trying to condition. So, so the answer is yes, turn it on and leave it on. And the answer is also yes, you can open up your windows and doors. Well, AirServe has been known for a long, long time to provide nothing but the finest quality uh, heating and air conditioning. And of course, uh, my good friend Justin has been with them for a while now, doing a great job of teaching individuals at their homes uh, how, how to look at their heating and air conditioning as an investment for the future. So, Justin, let's tell people how to get a hold of you. How, what's the best way if somebody's listening this morning, they want to come out, have you come out to their home and do an analysis of what they got now and maybe what AirServe can provide? How's the best way to do that? Our telephone number at the office, Brad, is 218-879-SERV, S-E-R-V, and our website is AirServe.com, A-I-R-E-S-E-R-V.com. Fantastic. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it very much. Look forward to talking to you on Friday again. Okay. Uh, I don't know who wants to start off with this, but, you know, I'm concerned. One of the things I saw was I was really moved a couple of months ago when it looked like the uh, paper mill out here in West Duluth was going to have a new product. They were going to come out. They're going to employ people. But when I looked at it again, they're employing a lot less people than they used to under the old mill, and yep. they're not necessarily doing it with that much new logs uh, that log that uh, people like Pete, you and yourself, and other people are mm-hmm. are doing. They're trying to look for waste uh, paper products. Yeah, it, it um, it's not going, Brad. That's not going to directly help the Timmerus Street greatly, but it's still better than nothing there instead of leaving it a shell. And sometimes you, there's changes like that, and then another mill may pick up somewhere else, but. What 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 we're what we're looking at, Brad, right now is okay. Is is managing the forest the proper way? And we are the farmers of the forest, folks, and yes. we're the ones that are getting the work done out there. Grand, you're going to have your foresters, you're going to have your consumers, and that. But we have to have a, a a way to work with one another to sustain this. Because if if the timber industry went down in the United States, you may not see it right today, but you're going to definitely see it tomorrow. And you could be sitting there sipping coffee in your house and not thinking, I'm, I'm almost retired. Uh, it doesn't really affect me. None of this is going to affect me at all. Well, go back about two years. How did the toilet paper affect you? Everybody's almost <laughs> yeah, getting really? in fights over that. Lumber prices <laughs> went through the roof. I know of people that were going to build homes and stop because the lumber got out of reach. Now it affects them. They're still not building their house. They're still looking how they can do it. This all is connected. You may think you're not hooked up. The, you're not insulated, folks. Nobody is. It's just that we're bringing awareness to what's going on so that you understand that we, we, we need to be able to have a, somehow be able to come to the table as loggers to talk about what would be helpful. And the loggers have to have their numbers ready when you do that. And, and, and Henry had some thoughts on that as well as uh, what could be done. Well, so like, who doesn't like trees, right? And and you all do the work on the ground, and I'm thinking June is dairy month. So, Brad, have you 
hugged Peter lately? Have you hugged your logger? I'm kind of thinking we should have a hug your logger day, man. But no way. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll have a little festering afterwards. But you know, I've got a woman at home that would be very upset. Every everybody loves the forest. They love the resource. They they love our healthy forest, especially. They love the recreational trails, the wildlife habitat, and all that. Well, a lot of that's created by the guys doing the work on the ground. You know, we have our forest management plans, but the plan is only as good as the people implementing the plan. So if we lose those implementers, we're going to see a little bit of a uh, change in our forest here. It might take a little bit of while, but there's going to be some there's going to be some direct impact of that, which we're seeing in California and different parts of the country. So uh, I I guess what I'm advocating here, uh, Brad, is is a new appreciation for the forest management that actually gets done. We know that it provides healthy forest and all the rest that everybody says they cherish so much. So why isn't there a little more appreciation for that? Isn't wouldn't that be through education, understanding what really goes on? Because that's what we're here is so people can start using their own mind with their own eyes. We tell you folks what really goes on. Now you look for yourself, and you can really understand that why we have to do what we do. And I imagine that happens all over the country with uh, with Scott. What you're going, I'm doing is that. Hopefully, loggers are willing to talk a little bit. If if a logger can't, if you can at least support the ones that do to to share more information about what really takes place, because a lot of news out there usually is garbage it's manure and what we're telling you folks even if even what i said the very first show to right now if i told you the truth i don't have to remember it and i don't remember a lot of it (laughs) but it it resonates and hopefully it keeps going out and out and what about other parts of the country scott what you're seeing well you know public education like you do with the radio show here peter with let sawdust fly is really invaluable um to getting that word out the american loggers council is putting together a public image campaign national multimedia campaign to get that information out via youtube videos and and billboards and that type of thing to educate uh, the public about the uh the impacts, the direct impacts that touch every American's lives that come out of the American forests, which depend upon the logging industry of the United States. Mm-hmm. And it does affect everybody directly because um, when you go and get your groceries a couple of years ago, how full was your cart and how much are you getting now for the same dollar amount? I bet everybody yeah. notices that greatly. Everybody's still going to have to keep eating. We want to continue doing what we do. We love doing what we do. We just want to know, I guess, for what is that saying? The canary in the coal mine or whatever it is? We're the canary yeah. in the woods, the loggers are. Well, yeah, at least you for really something. Are. <laughs> and, and, and you're looking to get paid a fair price for a fair day's work. That's basically what you're doing. And somehow you got to keep up with it with the industries that are using your product. And that's not always, uh, you know, a lot of times it seems like all of them are kind of working against each other instead of to help each other. It, it is. We, we're, 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 what we're worried about, and loggers out there listening, what we're all worried about is, is the escalation of things getting so out of hand that you can't even afford to do what you want to do. We want to continue. We want to pass it down. We want to see the next generation come in. Uh, my son, he's 23. He wants to stay in this business. My daughter, she's 19. She, she's him and Han about, you know, they got to make their own decision. But I imagine it's that way across everywhere, Michigan, Wisconsin, oh, yeah. uh, where the, the, the family wants to continue on. We want to do it. We're just trying to bring notice right now that there's a major problem is the fuel situation. 
the long-term solution is what I think is there's got to be a handle on this to where we can sustain and start bringing that down. Because if it continues on, it, it, uh, it'll, uh, it'll, it can kill it. Where, where, where's, the, where's the stopping point? We're at $5.50, no, $5.60 and $0.70 a gallon for diesel is what I saw. Right up there. Yeah. Where's the stopping point? Why not $6? Why not $7? $8? $10? $12? Where does it end? That's the scary point is it, it keeps creeping up. It'll settle down. It creeps up more. And, and uh, that's a big concern for us right now is we're not picking on anybody. We're just saying there's major problems, and it's, it's going to infect everybody. You're going to see a major problem coming later this year if nothing changes on this situation. Well, yeah. Peter, regarding fuel, it's not going to go down anytime soon, and it's going to continue to go up. Based on geopolitical uh, impacts, I was on the phone on the way down here today with the um, uh, USDA talking about the the uh, bio uh, the biomass and wood pellets exporting to the uh, uh, European Union yep. and, and the impacts that are being felt over there right now with their fuel prices and energy prices. Um, so. The demands that are uh, occurring are not going to change. The farmers are going to go into the field in the fall, and so that's going to increase demand for diesel fuel as well. So prices are not going to go down. It's unfortunate, but uh, the answer to the problem is twofold. The answer is the mills, the end user, uh, not, not the consumer, but the mills, need to recognize and uh, accept the cost and the impact to loggers and treat them the same way as they treat the rest of their supply chain to ensure that they're not losing money. Uh, the second thing is is we need more fuel in the pipeline, literally, mm-hmm. uh, in domestic production and, and refining. Um, but in the meantime, until that happens, there are a couple of steps we've been pushing nationally, and one is is uh, looking at the fuel uh, uh, tax um, and also interstate access. Um, if we had logging trucks that are in Minnesota driving up old Highway 61 instead driving on the interstate, yep. um, that would save 10 to 20 percent in uh, fuel economy or improve, improve fuel economy. Yeah. So that's one thing we're pushing. We can use interstate here for that short distance that you got help got accomplished back, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago. But that's the only one, I think, in the nation right now, I think. Yeah, it's a 23-mile corridor around Duluth and uh, Cloquet. Um, so the precedent's there. Um, put the logging trucks on the interstates nationwide. Mm-hmm. How about over in Michigan? Well, Henry? guys. Uh, oh, go ahead, Brad. Guys, let me ask. Let me ask a question. This is Brad again. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm not a big fan of this administration or whatever. But it seems like this administration is not going to make it easier to produce gasoline and and fuel oil and uh, and the thing that runs your vehicles, which is. Uh, you know, which is that very high-priced commodity that comes out of the pumps. So we almost need a change uh, in administration philosophy. You can't run those logging trucks on windmills and solar panels, I don't think. No, it's pretty tough to uh, have a windmill going on top of an airplane or something like that, you know. Um, <laughs> logging trucks, uh, semi-trucks going electric, okay? Yeah, it's a good point, Brad. Um, that would co- the, the semi-trucks would cost three to four times as much as they do right now. Instead of 160000 there would be almost $500,000 for a, a semi-truck, yeah, that's an electric that's semi-truck. And then they, they weigh 6,000 pounds more, so you're carrying a quart and a half less. It doesn't work in the woods. I've been wanting to try electric truck for quite a while. I've been still trying to work on it, get it, and I can't find the exact weight. I've been looking and looking and looking. They they dance around the weight issue. They dance around everything. I really am trying to find where I can get to try electric truck. What will happen? Except we've well, got to park it outside well, because Peter, they catch on fire now and then. 
Peter, my my thought would be if you could find an electric truck that would pull a a load of logs out of the woods, how would you uh, start the vehicle in 20 below in the middle of the winter? I mean, I don't think those things that are run by electric uh, batteries are very efficient when it comes to below freezing temperatures. That would be the fun part, to find out how these things really do. That's why it would be great to try one. I've been trying to get that for a while now, and I can't get anywhere, but it uh, they are heavier, but they don't sail heavy. I have rode, folks, I did ride an electric bus one time. A lot of batteries. It did take off good, oh. but it was four times the expense of a regular school bus. That was pretty neat. Henry, what about those big trucks that you have over those Michigan Peakers with, <laughs> let's say, 42 axles? <laughs> no, 42 tires, 11 axles. And they're hauling, what is the biggest load? I remember Dennis Olson over there claimed the biggest load, but maybe we better not tell the cops over there, so hopefully they don't hear this one. No, no we're, we're, we're going to keep it legal, but yeah, it's 164 is the maximum gross on 11 axles. That It's really an axle weight state, not a gross weight state, but... Yeah, I mean, we've we've done some research on the electric trucks, and now what Scott mentioned was the cost of the truck. In addition, it's about $150,000 for the charging system. And that's just, the, wow. you know, I, I mean, you know, wow. we've got all these current bushes out in the woods that we could just plug into, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, you know, and, and you talk about solar panels a little bit and, and uh, those types of things, well, as a as an industry person and a and a tree lover, I'm not necessarily all jazzed up about um, deforestation to make room for solar panels either. I think we got to do a few things to balance some stuff out here. You know, we're we're using precious farmland for uh, wind turbines, and we're using yes precious forest land for for solar panels. We got to we got to figure this out a little bit better. Yeah, it, well, it's a long uh, road. And Peter and guys, nobody has talked about how often these things break down and they've got to replace parts and the parts are very expensive. As far as I can tell, I they mean, don't break down though, Brad. As far as I can tell, I haven't seen anybody complain about breaking down. I haven't seen one either, too. The windmills, you mean? <laughs> or what? <laughs> electric trucks. I'm still oh, trying to get trucks, one. Yeah. I want to try one and drive one and haul loads. And, and uh, I don't know, but that's, everything's really expensive. Well, the only other thing that we forget about, too, is that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to lose one load a day is, you're gonna be due to charging. You're not going to have the range yeah. to pull off enough loads during the day. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to put a windmill on top of my truck and solar panels on the load every time we go down the road. What are you talking about? <laughs> you can put a boiler that makes electricity on the back from the wood. <laughs> oh, we can laugh but and see, have fun see, at we, least. <laughs> see, guys, we kind of make fun of this, but I, I truly think that uh, this administration has a great idea about being greener, about trying to be uh, more environmentally friendly, but we don't have the uh, infrastructure in place to go that way at all. No. Uh, some uh, uh, Scott, I think you just talked about the fact that you'd have to have 160000 or whatever for a charging station. I mean, can you imagine the draw of a million, 100 million vehicles on a, on a power grid? You sure it's that high, If we high all spot? of a sudden switch to that? It's that high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for the fast oh, charge yeah. of that capacity. Wow, that's more we paid for our last new truck. Yeah, I mean, that came right from the expert at our spring meeting that there's expert from Michigan Tech that's, uh, you know, he's just an expert on the electric trucks and the charging systems and all that kind of thing. So that's, that's getting that's up the there. That's the best knowledge we have. Wow. 
Oh. Well, Peter, uh, Peter, we want to hang on to you right to the top of the hour, if you don't mind. But we do have to take a quick break here. KDAL time, 1256.73 in Solon Springs, 64 in Eveleth, downtown Sky Harbor, 55 degrees. Chilly downtown, Brad, but I'm not going to complain. Oh, it's very... Well, listen, guys, in the last couple of minutes we have here before the top of the hour, does anybody have uh, some optimism they can give out about uh, something that may be looking at down the line but might be beneficial to this country where we may see some positives for the logging and trucking industry? I think uh, as far as the timber industry, yes, there's always, it's, I think there's always opportunity. What we need is just a little bit of relief for the fuel end of it because everything else follows suit. So uh, I believe it's, there's always opportunity. I believe there's always a, a good light shining through this situation. It's just that right now it's a little bit murky right now, but, but I think if a, it, it, it just gets a little frustrating now and then, and this is one of those frustrating times that we have, and we're just trying to muddle through it. And so we can joke about the batteries and the windmills and that on the trucks and having solar panels on our cars, and so we can go a little bit farther, but... The, the truth is maybe someday that will work. Maybe someday we'll have uh, other things that could work for the upper area of the Midwest or the southern part of the United States. But you're always going to need uh, the timber industry, no matter what time in life. Absolutely. You're always going to need the timber industry. And uh, I think there's always something. Maybe we'll still have to build that wall someday between Wisconsin and Mich- here in Minnesota and have the Wisconsin loggers pay for it. <laughs> How about that, Henry? Uh, agree, agree with Peter. No, I don't agree with that part, but I agree <laughs> with you that. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's some positives here. I mean, well, we couldn't even complete one across Texas for kind of loud, so what are we going to do here? But anyhow, uh, you know, this is a team sport, right? We're smart people. Yes, it is. If everybody sits at the table, and I, I mean, I don't care if we're talking with extreme environmentalists or whatever. If we're sitting at the table... And everybody's got an opportunity to put their cards out there and and talk us through. We're, we're smart. We got to be able to figure this out. And and Scott is exactly right. What we've been doing for the last hundred and whatever years is not working. We need we need. Well, guys, we, we have to, to uh, we have to break it up. It's uh, that time of the day. But thank you so much to all of you. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and kind of uh, opening all of our eyes a little bit about the needs of the timber industry here mm-hmm. and. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. Yep. And Thank I you hope very you can much, do Brad. it again Appreciate soon. It. Pete, yep. Pete, great show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks, folks. Yep.